Hey everyone, welcome to The Awakened Catholic Show. I hope you're doing marvelously well. Today I have two very, very special guests, dear friends of mine and hosts of the show on Awakened Catholic called Elevate Ordinary, John Mark and Teresa Grodi, or rather should I say Teresa Grodi and John Mark Grodi, because Teresa, you are the better of the two halves, I think. Um, today it's gonna we're gonna cover some really incredible topics. The show Elevate Ordinary has done has blessed my life tremendously, and I'm excited to get into uh, the topics, discuss the show, discuss your family and, and your marriage, and all of that is coming up right after this. Welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show, everyone. I'm your host, Nick De La Torre, and this is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show, unless she's a really, really cool grandmother. Today, we are talking about Elevate Ordinary and Teresa and John Mark Grodi. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Welcome. I am, I am so thrilled to be here with you. Um, I think before we break into topics and stuff, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about us. Uh, wait, isn't that a country song? Um <laughs> I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I want to talk about number one. Anyway, <clears throat> for the record, I don't actually listen to country music because I can't. Um, anyways, I, if you're into it, God bless you. It's just not for me. Um, so we actually met many years ago, which is a weird statement to make because I still feel like I'm a young spring chicken, but my hair would say otherwise. Um, so let's talk about when we first met. I'd love to hear it from y'all's perspective. Uh, so I think, John Mark, I might have met you first. It was in the context of the university group uh, on Bowling Green University's campus. It was a yeah. Catholic university group. Um, it was called... Uh, what was it called? What was it called? Creed on Campus. Yeah. Was sort of so I had I was actually yeah. super meeting you guys was super wrapped up in my conversion story because um, Creed on Campus hosted an event featuring Christopher West, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, which actually Christopher West is going to be here in our studio in our venue uh, in just <laughs> a couple of months, that. which is super That's exciting. Amazing. But yeah, he's my hero, and uh, I'll be sitting with him here in a couple of months. So super cool. super cool. Um, but anyways, so we met there because I was invited to that event and I was I just went head over heels for God and for the church and then I started attending more of the Creed on campus stuff mm. and y'all would host these uh nights of worship and and there was occasionally like a pizza night afterwards at yeah. Polly Eyes and that's where I kind of got to know who you guys were um and so I think John Mark you were probably the first one I met what was do you recall at all meeting me back then I don't and that's no reflection of you at all wow he doesn't, he doesn't, wow he I rely doesn't on remember friends most and of us spouse. dating. You heard it first here, folks. We John Mark dating. hates me. He doesn't remember most of his life before right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she'll like reminisce. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I didn't have that memory anywhere. That's all right. I'll get over it eventually. Yeah. 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 No, but I remember, yeah, doing, as you began to get involved and in doing the praise and worship at those events, and especially when we were, there was there were some transitions in the events and where they were hosted. And so we were right. like trying out new things and, and you were involved in all that. And so it was a, it was a neat time to be doing campus ministry together. Yeah. The good old times, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, I remember the transition from Creed on campus to it got renamed to Veritas. And then eventually there was like that, that night where we would gather on campus in one of the student, you know, ballrooms or whatever for uh, the, like a, a guest speaker. And then I would lead some worship at yeah. those. Yeah. Uh, but then additionally, there was the night of worship that was held in the church. And that was Eucharistic adoration mm -hmm. with praise and worship. Um, super amazing That's things. Sick. So many fruits of what come, yeah, came out time. of that time. Yeah. Uh, 
And and it's yeah. also so intrinsically part of the DNA of Awakened Catholic. Like Awakened yeah. Catholic is made up of a ton of people that came out of that <laughs> yeah. time in that place. You know, Andrew yeah. Reinhardt became the campus minister there eventually, and, and he's now hosting Physically mm-hmm. Spiritual here. As is uh, many things in our diocese. Yeah, that's right true. Now are like students that were it's so at true. Green State University's mm-hmm. Newman Center at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah it's pretty it's, wild. It was definitely... And even like reflecting upon how so many of us ended up there, mm-hmm. it was like you couldn't peg how we all just kind of came. Mm-hmm. But we definitely, I, I really think we were called to be discipled and to be discipled uniquely um, by Father Mike Dandre. Oh my gosh. Um, and Christopher West, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's like coming full circle. I think it's a testament to what, you know, like that time of life, that transition period between. Uh, young adulthood and adulthood, you know, can be, right? Most of the time these days when we think of the college experience and it's all, it's such a mixed bag, but we had a group of people there that, and good leaders around us that were pushing everybody to, you know, we were we were all talking about vocation and discernment and prayer and theology of the body. And so we, we all kind of in that in that melting pot we we all really had this sense of of purpose and direction wanting to serve god wanting to discern and then so these great vocations marriages mm-hmm. you know, priests came out of that it was just well and so much path. of that too the foundation the bedrock of it was having such a holy priest as our pastor father mike danderand you mentioned yeah. like yeah. you know speaking of the vocations he took a buddy of ours and me uh damian santiago yeah. he took he and i to um St. Minard Seminary for a discernment <laughs> retreat, mm-hmm. just the three of us there praying, praying with the monks, discerning priesthood with Father Mike, um, you know, going on these hikes in the woods. That, that's where I learned the Salve Regina chant for the mm-hmm. first time, was on this hike in the mountain with Father Mike Dandran and Damien Santiago. Yeah. And I just like cherish so much, but, but Father Mike gave such personal care to every person that he was ministering to there. Um, and everyone had unique needs, and, and he was just amazing. It's a real icon of yeah. fatherhood. Yes. You know, we were at a, a, a dinner for him a while back, you know, re, you know, kind of reflecting on how many years of priesthood, I think it was maybe 20. Uh, I don't know. Was it 30? I don't know. It might have been 30. But we were reflecting on that with, with him and with <laughs> with friends there about his, an icon of fatherhood, you know, like yeah. he... He really shows us the love of God the Father in his priesthood. And, you know, we all have then learned from that in our own vocations, you know, both the challenge as, as well as the affirmation of the Father. And he, he exemplified that so well. And it, it really engendered spiritual children, you know. Many, Amen. Many yeah. And I, I pre, sorry for the mic I'm talking about you. I'm sure you're not going to like it. But like, he really was able to, through his fatherhood, pull out the virtue of like magnanimity in all of us mm. where like we felt like we could strive for what God was calling us to whatever that is that it was possible that God could give us the grace and that we could be faithful and that the the end of heaven and hopefully being a saint at the end of our life would be like would be the reward yes. the reward became very tangible and and like when Jesus says, like, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that's really, I, I feel like, what it felt like. Um, yeah. And no, to just- that end, like, that reminds me, one of the things that he did for me in my journey, um, which, which everything you just said reminded me of this, uh, he helped me deconstruct my entire upbringing's worth of misunderstanding who God was mm. to reconstruct a far more accurate understanding yeah. of who God is. Yeah. 
And that is so big. I mean, mm-hmm. that cannot be understated, the, the importance of that, because we all, uh, our ideas of who God is are so, it's such a conglomeration of so many different right. uh, angles of things, uh, influences throughout our lives, our, our family of origin, our, the circle of friends we grew up with, like so many different things, what we see on TV, what we see in movies. And most of it is wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> by and large, and yeah. and that deconstruction to then reconstruct it because then, you know, when we when everyone says like, oh, you need to have a relationship with Jesus and you know God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and but then if you and misunderstand who they are, mm-hmm. then the idea of having a relationship with God becomes a lot more challenging to wrap your mind around. You know, it's it's just I I can't say enough how huge that was for me. And that's the sacramental reality. Again, it doesn't have to work like this, but it works this way because God chooses to work this way. He works through people. He teaches us his fatherhood through earthly fathers. He teaches mm-hmm. us you know, about who he is through his saints, through his witnesses. And so we, we, do, we can't dispense with other people and their witnesses. And uh, I think particularly in the Father, you know, our families teach us about God, but even the most perfect families teach it imperfectly. And so mm. we then we need to find other father figures, other mother figures, other saints to fill it, to keep filling in the gap for yes. who God the Father is. And you know, some people do that extraordinarily well. He certainly did. Oh yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen to that. So Teresa, do you remember at all the beginning I of I do. Okay. I, so I was thinking I have two initial images of you. Oh boy. One <laughs> is you would show up, I believe this was you, with Protestant friends. Accurate. And you would kind of fight. Or like we we would sit and have like Spar. not, not yeah. we but like in the in the Newman Center like people would just be pushing. Damien mm-hmm. was doing this too. Mm-hmm. You know he would show up and he would kind of push. And then um, another one is like I grew up watching the nanny with Fran Drescher. I don't know what Jewish, that is. Jewish Jewish culture. Okay, and like they would always talk about like the the Jewish mother's dream is that her daughter would marry the cantor at the temple. <laughs> And I never got, I never got what a cantor was, you know, but when I heard you sing at church, my first thought was that is what Jewish mothers <laughs> want their oh daughters gosh. to marry. I just punched the it's microphone. It's cantor. Oh my gosh. And so yeah, I remember like your gorgeous voice and I'm really, I'm sorry, I'm really critical of all things recording, mm-hmm. like music. I'm really critical, hypercritical. And so I... It's high praise, Nick. Yeah. I am uh, <laughs> go to your head. quite flattered and humbled. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Thank you, Teresa. Um, yeah, I remember something really fun uh, from our background. Uh, for John Mark's bachelor party, we went to the restaurant that you were a waitress at. Oh, yeah. And that was yeah. super cool. <laughs> Forgot about that. And you waited on our Aww. table, I think, right? That was your bachelor party? Well, not that. Well, oh. I, well it was like size. a part of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> then from there, we hung out at the Newman Center. Yeah. Your dad played piano for us, and yeah, we just yeah. hung Aww. out. Yeah, it was super cool. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So we go back. We yeah. go back. I don't yeah. want to do the math on how many years ago that was, but how many I don't years, even how think many I kids, could. How many cats, kids ago? You know? <laughs> yeah. Man, who let us become parents? Cats. That's weird. That oh, yeah. You, you guys have cats. I'm we like, do have when cats. Have I had we a have, cat? We have too many cats. We have... We have the right amount of cats for us. <laughs> I have six. The cats. internet begs to differ. Yeah. Shed all the cats. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's great! And so, 
So I have known about you guys over the years, uh, especially because I've been in several Bible study groups with John Mark. I've I, and one of them you brought to the table a book for us to read through and study on the cardinal virtues by Joseph Pieper, and I saw how much you would nerd out about this, and and rightfully so. Just fantastic stuff, really illuminative stuff. Um, and I carry with me to this day what I learned just in that study, and and I. I love listening to your show because of the ways in which it expands on that. Um, but I knew when we were launching Awaken Catholic, I was like reflecting and praying on like who God wanted me to send invitations to, to join this endeavor and, and host a show and talk about things. And a couple of things came to mind for me about you guys when I made the initial invitation. One was I, I needed to pursue people who had acute areas of passion and expertise because there are plenty of people that are just like i'm catholic and i love being catholic but then like there are some weirdos out there like john (laughs) mark who are like i love the cardinal virtues and and you know it had to be someone like that um to to really kind of deliver the type of enthusiasm and passion towards whatever topic and as i thought more about you guys it was like you have such a beautiful albeit as imperfect as any other family might be, you have such a beautiful family life and such a beautiful focus on the mission of your family as as the primary mission for you guys. And I just admired what you guys were and are, and I wanted to allow, potentially, if you were to say yes to the invitation, I wanted to allow that to become something that would inspire other people as much as it's inspired me um, And over the years. And so... Um, I couldn't have been more thrilled after I made the initial invitation. I was like, get back to me, you know, whatever. And and I hear back from you guys and you're like, let's do it, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I just was, I was doing backflips metaphorically because I'm not that talented <laughs> or flexible or fit. Anyways, uh, I digress. Um, what was your guys' thought process with the initial invitation? You can start with that. Well, it came at a good time. You know, sometimes uh, we understand as Catholics that a discernment of different things is a complex process. There's there's partly like, you know, noting your your feelings and your desires and passions, but then also like bringing them to other people and weighing them against the church and scripture. And certainly if that involves a religious vocation or marriage, then there's, there's more people involved in that process. But as you're exploring your passions, right, there's always this sense of you, you want to stay somewhat detached, right? This is, this may just be for me. I really get into this book, you know, this may just be for me, or maybe it's for me to share with others in a certain way. And you kind of just let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. Your call came at a time when, again, after we'd done that, probably the year after we'd done that study of the Cardinal Virtues, and I'm just like, I think this is an important missing key in the catechesis of the church. I think it's part of our heritage as Catholics. I think it's fallen uh, into disrepair and disrepute, and it's not understood, and it's not, and it explains a lot of our issues in the church. And so I was excited to, to share it. I wouldn't, didn't know if I was going to have a way to do that. Um, and so just at that time, you called and, and you you said it. You said, you know, maybe something on the virtues. And I was like, wow, I, I was just thinking about how I wish I had a way to, to share that. And so, <laughs> but then as we fleshed out the idea too, again, our passion has always been uh, the, again, the little way and and the domestic church. You yeah. know? And and so, you know, with some discernment, I remember we were driving in the car one day and I think Elevate Ordinary came to us when we were finally, we were doing a, a, a cloud of all the terms and the, and the emphases and, and what kind of came out of it was that. 
idea, and then we texted you the picture of our yeah. of our thing. Well, we even did. before that, yeah. you had been at my house, and we were on we were in front of a big whiteboard, yeah, and we were just sketching out all these different ideas for names and and approaches yeah. to it. And I think maybe you came away from that, and you were you, we had honed it in from yeah. to a, like a few good options, and then you sent me that, yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. How do you feel about it, Teresa? Well, I, I remember when John Mark brought it to me, because I think initially you asked him, mm-hmm. right, with his, the idea of virtues in mind. And my first thought, now I'm, I'm a copy editor and I'm very disagreeable. So the, the first time <laughs> yeah, that yeah. someone brings me an idea, I'm immediately criticizing it, pulling it apart, and trying to figure out what those things are that I don't like about it so that it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when We he need people me, like that in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll just leave. I, anyway. Yeah. I You're the hero I, we needed. I am who I am. <laughs> so <laughs> for better, or for worse. But I, sir. well, <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. But I was thinking like, I was thinking like, John Mark shouldn't be talking to a camera. He mm. needs to have somebody he's, he's having a conversation to. Mm. Um, and, and and I was and you had actually I thought I think brought that up to him and I was like oh that'd be great and you had brought it up to me, like it it kind of went in a circle and he's like Nick really wants me to be talking to somebody I'm like that's a phenomenal idea that's a great idea and I was just like thinking who and he's like what about you and I'm like no, <laughs> no. <laughs> great <laughs> but when he said that I was thinking to myself like. I think I would be the best person for my husband to talk to because we do have, we talk a lot, you know, we, we hash things out. Um, and I see things differently than he sees things. And quite often that makes for uh, like a ruckus fight ish. And then, but then after the, the fighting, it's just kind of like, and by, when I say fighting, I mean like we're, we're disagreeing and we're trying to figure out we, we have a truth and we're disagreeing about it and we're mm-hmm. trying to figure that out. But I think it works well with us. And that's something that we had already realized in our relationship. And I was just like, well, son of a, I think, <laughs> I think maybe I'm the right person for you to be talking to about these things. Well, well, what's interesting so about that's the, how that happened. The virtue stuff too. Again, <laughs> like part of the reason that they're important is that, I mean, you can teach, you know, a quick course in the cardinal virtues in, in a half an hour, right? Like you can give the definitions, you can give the structure. That's not the difficult part. The, the, what the virtues give us, they teach us, is that we as Christians, you know, the New Testament talks about this law of freedom that we're under. And it doesn't mean that that all the old laws and the, and the morality are gone. What it means is that those have to become something that's internal, that you as, as a Christian are, are living out and putting into practice and making decisions. Um, you have to be the actor in, in your story. Again, all it all comes from the grace of God, but he calls you to be the, the thinker and the 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 discerner and the prayer and then the the actor the creator mm. right so he calls he works through us in that way and so the virtues again they you can you have the dry definitions but then actually like practicing the the habits of soul we would call them that's what we're called to as Christians and that's what allows us to to imitate Christ in the saints again when we say imitate Christ what do we mean do we mean put on sandals do we mean wear a robe do we mean go out in the desert well maybe that that could be it but more importantly, when we're thinking about imitating Christ or imitating his great saints, we're imitating the qualities of their being. You have to distill the, the ways of thinking, the mindsets, yeah. the, heart, the, the qualities of their heart, the habits of soul. That's what the virtues are. Well, then the point is to internalize those, but then to write your own story. Like You're to be co-creating with God uh, the life and vocation he's given you. And so the point 
with all that is that it's messy, right? It doesn't look like somebody else's life. You have to hash it out in your marriage, in your in your um, you know your health, your time, your work, your money. You have to hash out how to submit those things to Christ. And again, there's no there are general principles, but there's no easy ready-made formula for it. You have to bring it about in your life. So yeah. it's it's by its nature it's messy. And that's not a bug. That's a feature. Yeah, and that's that's uh, says speaks a lot to like the dual reality of the the gift of grace. Yeah, combined with our need to respond to it. Right. You know, we have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, do something with it in cooperation with God. Yeah. Uh, man, such great points. Almost as good as the segue to our sponsor, <laughs> which is CatholicMerch.com. Uh, thank you, CatholicMerch.com, for contributing 100% of your proceeds to Awaken Catholic. Uh, it's definitely not that CatholicMerch.com is also owned by Awaken Catholic. Uh, if you want people to know how holy you are on the inside by how holy you look on the outside, then check out CatholicMerch.com. Anyways, <laughs> as we were. Uh, so actually, this is a perfect time. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Sophia, from the back. CatholicMerch.store. Actually, I think, double check that CatholicMerch.com doesn't also work. I think they both work. Um, but one of them will get you one there. One of them will get you there. <laughs> Let me know, Sophia. You do not want CatholicMerch.net. What is that? I can't emphasize strongly. Unspeakable. Oh, we're just kidding. Are you serious? Uh, no, no, we're just kidding. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was worried it was some like sketchy dark web thing. <laughs> they do oh, both work. Yes. Good. Sweet. All right. Uh, so let's proceed now to the Kerygma speed round. All right. Mm. Are you guys ready? Yes. I'm ready. Okay. Actually, because you are a man of words, John Mark, define Kerygma for us, because I don't think we've done that on the show. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm not a man of definitions. Uh, <laughs> oh, please. I will paraphrase here. I mean, <laughs> I just rolled my the, eyes so yes, hard. <laughs> everyone did. Everyone around the world did. I think when we're talking about Kerygma, we're talking about like the, the, the main thrust of the gospel, coming to know Jesus Christ yes. and, and his good news about the, about the kingdom. So we, we when we catechize in the church, we there's a, there's a whole breadth of the church's teachings about God and about the church and about morality and all kinds of stuff. But Kerygma is that central kernel, who Jesus is, what he means to us, why we need him, why he's our savior. Yes. Did I do the second part already? Maybe. You, you kind of are <laughs> spilling into the responses. It's hard right. not to, man. Let's dive into the Kerygma speed round. All right. Teresa, let's start with you. Who is Jesus to you? He's the one that's always pursuing me. Ooh, always dynamite. pursuing me. Love that. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. John Mark, who is Jesus to you? Well, the most obvious fact of human existence is actually sin and evil and suffering. Like it's just it's just it's just who we are. Like we have we're broken people. Yeah. And so Jesus is the answer to that that asked question. Yes. He is the answer to our brokenness. Uh and so we we can't deny the question. He's the answer. Oh, that's so good. I started laughing at the beginning because only John Mark would start the response to that question with the fundamental issue in human existence. Vamping. He's vamping. He's totally vamping. That was so good. No, that was really, really good, though. Um, all right. Teresa, give me uh, an elevator pitch for a life with Jesus. Well, if you want peace, real peace. Uh, then Jesus is the only answer. He is the Prince of Peace. I love and that. You can do a whole lot of spinning tires, spinning wheels, mm, whatever. Yeah. 
But if you want peace, it's only in him. Amen. Yeah. John Mark, same question. I can tell you lots of things about Jesus. I can tell you about his historicity. I can tell you about his miracles. I can tell you about all the things he said and did. Ultimately, it comes down to three things. Either I'm lying to you or I'm crazy, and that's perhaps a little bit more likely, or (laughs) in my story, he's changed my life. Mm. My life would not be the same if I hadn't come to known Christ, given my life to Christ. Uh, And so ultimately it comes down to the witness of the gospel and he is my savior. So, Amen. I love that. All right, Teresa, final question. There's another one. Third one, third and final elevator pitch for life specifically as a Catholic. Well, it's tiresome being your own Pope. Ooh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, And you can go down all kinds of crazy spiraling, but to be able to rest and receive and to know that like you don't have to search anymore and you can simply receive God's love where you are with the promise of salvation. Like I rest in that every day. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Beautiful. John Mark. Catholicism is about reality. There's no other institution on the planet, uh, nor will there ever be one that is more about embracing reality and then guided by the Holy Spirit to teach us how to respond rightly to reality in ways that'll make us happy and holy. Beautiful. I love it. That's awesome. So back to our conversation. Mm-hmm. Great job yes. with that, by the way. That was a phenomenal charisma speed round. Um, so, all right. We're at St. Tom's. You guys meet. You see each other from across the church, and you're like, whoa. Not she even, said that because I was wearing a Mountain Dew t-shirt. And so she was just like. No, I saw him and I was like, if I don't go talk to that person about Jesus Christ, he's going to leave the Catholic Church. <laughs> and that was how I said hi to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was in the corner shuffling my shoes or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Little did I know. So how did you guys meet? And, and how did that, that was all. It. No, that, that was That was literally it. it. I thought yeah. that was like a, no, a was, I saw okay. him <laughs> at one of the Creed on campus yeah. meetings. And I was like, that kid's new. I better go tell him about Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And we became so. good friends and we did ministry together. And we, we were close friends and sort of brother and sister for a long time. Like she was like my big sister. She's a couple years older than I, a few yeah. years older than I. Um, I think long, some some amount of time before we ever thought, I mean, romantic thoughts. That I did that first. And I think when I first asked Teresa out, you didn't even realize. I I, I low-balled it. I soft-pedaled yeah. it so much. She didn't even realize that I had asked her out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, weren't you working for St. Tom's or something like that? I that was, was later. I that think was I was going to apply the next year. So yeah. I was still technically a, a grad student. Um, but and you actually, had some kind of leadership capacity, I thought. Or I, I always had, have a leadership okay, capacity. That's, sure. It doesn't matter where I am. All right. I'm telling you Well, I'm just wondering if do. that was some of what... <laughs> I'm wondering if that was some of what kept the relationship platonic or something for a no. bit. I mean, no? she was a grad student no. working on her grad. No, I just thought was... he was much younger than me. Yeah, that's okay. in my head. It didn't seem like three yeah. years. It's still it in seemed the school. Like... So, like, she was an upperclassman. I was got it. Okay. Class, yeah. So, like... so it just didn't enter into my brain. Yeah. Um, but it entered into my grandma's brain because <laughs> she saw his dad on EWTN. Oh. <laughs> and she was praying her rosaries that we would get married. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one time I figured it out and I was like, Grandma, I am not going to marry John Mark. Yeah. And then I came she and She came I, and told me. I, yeah. You mentioned Damien earlier. I was playing Xbox with Damien <laughs> in our dorm room. We were playing and Teresa like flounced in 
as she was wont to do. She just flounced in and is like, oh, my grandma thinks we're going to get married someday. What a ridiculous idea. And flounced out. And I'm just like, what do I even make of that, Damien? What am I I supposed to do with that? Um, Let's define flounced. Skipped. Maybe I'm remembering it in a particular way. Yeah, That's great. So So grandma won. Yeah, right. the rosaries won. Yeah, the, our, yeah. our holy mother won. Yep. Yeah, as she always does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I got, I lucked out on that one, boy. <laughs> it's like the best. I don't know how people are married and not married to John Mark. So. Well, I'm not, and I'm doing okay. Yeah, so. I, I know. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know how this. This is my equation. My equation is like marry John Mark and well, that your that, that says work. to me that it was God's will. I mean, I that's know. I feel the same way about Alina. Like I literally can't imagine a scenario where it was any other way. You lucked out too. I well, she's like the best. I it, that was God's work right there. That wasn't luck. That was. <laughs> Because I, it, we, there were so many occasions where either of us almost completely jeopardized that future. So um, I think all four of us married up. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, the math works out <laughs> in like a heaven way. Yeah, it works out certainly. <laughs> um, so, how many kids do you have now? Like twenty. <laughs> feels six. feels like it. Six kids every day. Yeah, uh, we have six kids. Yeah, okay. and our oldest is eleven. Our youngest is nine months. Mm-hmm. And they're awesome. Yeah. They're like these, this house of extroverts who have infinite amounts of personality all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they got it. And are know. trying to love each other and kill each other and kill themselves all at the same time, all day, every day. And so, of course, I homeschool them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't. Well, that way they don't kill someone else's kid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, like so, so there are reasons to homeschool when you wouldn't want your kids exposed to things. Sure. But there are equal reasons why I wouldn't want my children, other people's children <laughs> exposed to my kids. This is for we have a good. We have a child who could become like a cult leader if she <laughs> or he would uh, <laughs> would be let loose into- Oh my gosh, the- which one is that, Lucy? Shh. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Are they going to see this? Yeah. Actually, let me tell you a cute story about Lucy, just so you understand. Um, I was at the park once. I think she was probably five. And we had a play group, and everybody's playing, you know, and I'm just, you know, talking to the moms. And there was a all-boys school group there. So it must have been like a daycare or something. I don't, I don't know. But there was just like a whole bunch of same color shirts, and they were playing on the playground. Wasn't paying any attention. So these teachers come up to me. And they're like, do you see what she's been doing? And I look, and all of the boys are, she is leading them. They are a single file following her up and down the oh playground equipment like this. Like and they're like, she's, I've never seen anything like this. She's been doing it for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, I, I've never seen anything like this either. And then they all sit down and she's standing up in front of them. And this one boy who's probably like three years older than her, maybe four. I mean, like they were older boys turn around to the other kids. And he's like, shh, leaders talking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's why we homeschool. Yeah. (laughs) Right there. I had an, I had a situation like that with my Cecilia. Uh, We were watching fireworks um, at this place where there was also a kid's playground and stuff. And we were letting the kids play on the playground. And Alina and I realized at some point, like, wait, what's going on here? And like, literally all of the boys are following my Cecilia. And (laughs) it's very similar dynamic where she has all of these guys under her thumb. 
keep in mind, she's at this point probably like five years old. Yeah. And she has all of these boys, some older than her, under her thumb and doing whatever she tells them to do. And I'm like, in that moment, I'm like, we're homeschooling. Yeah. (laughs) These children, like nothing could have prepared me for the personalities of the children that Mm -hmm. you get. I, I just think like if I do all of the parenting things correctly, we'll get a good kid. And it's like not no. even close. <laughs> That's not how it works. Like I remember re- realizing that one of my kids was above average intelligence and just being like, this is really terrifying. And I mean, innately, like nothing I did, but just like, I don't like this kid is going to be smarter than me very, very soon. And I'm not a hundred percent sure what I do when the kid's smarter than me. Oh, he's already smarter than me. So just, yeah, I got one like that too. It's gone. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so your, your approach to family life, your parenting style, you, um, I'm curious kind of if there, if there were any sources of inspiration that you observed other than just discerning the best paths for yourself, like were there role model families that you looked at and you were like, I want to be like them? Because you guys have such a unique approach. to It's just so beautiful. It's so authentic, I think, to what the human person needs in their upbringing and, and like um, such a, a very authentic love for each other and, and want, you know, doing things that um, really are in the best interest of everyone involved. Like, I think it's just really hmm. powerful. I think I, I, the way I'd characterize our approach to marriage and family is just that it's – we've um, – We've been on a constant intellectual journey since we met and were dating. Um, I mean, there's lots of sources we could point to, lots of, you know, saints that we look up to and, uh, you know. Dr. Ray Gurendi. Dr. Ray Gurendi. Mm-hmm. He's guy, very empowering. Pop checks. And you know. Jordan Peterson dash, dash of this, dash <laughs> mm-hmm. of that, you know. But ultimately, it's been like, like we look back through our marriage. It's just we're, we've, we've been determined to keep trying and failing and discerning and mm-hmm. analyzing and then getting better. And so like, it's not been one consistent thing. It's just that we, we've been really determined as a couple to keep troubleshooting this and figuring it out and doing it better and, you know, making lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's just, yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. even, it's not even just like our will to want to do it. It's that from the point that we were married, like sacramentally married, it, it was just really, obvious to the both of us that there was something else other than the two of us now. Mm. Um, And I guess you would call that like the fact that it is a sacrament. Okay. So now there is something metaphysically changed. You're doing something with God. Yeah. But that that there is this almost guarantee that if you just keep being faithful the other party is working at it. The other party is like graciously giving and wants you to succeed. And that it's it's even more real than all of my feelings towards my husband or my, my desire to make a marriage work or my desire to homeschool or to have kids or to push through a pregnancy or whatever. Like there is something there that I'm not producing. And whenever- And it's know, real. And, and when in doubt, always kind of going back more to the source, more to the fundamental thing. Uh, more to the, the ordinary, right? Like, you know, like when, if, if there's issue in your marriage, go back to prayer. If, you're having, if we're having difficulties with our parenting, go back and work on our marriage. Always kind of going back more to the fundamental thing and shoring that up and, and reconnecting. Um, and we, again, like you said, we always had 
we've just been very convicted, you know, of the of the the holy holiness and the ordinary things, right? That this this is the normal vocation for the Christian is is the family. It's the normal. Uh, it's the, the the way designed by God for you know for uh, people to be brought in and chosen and cherished in the world. It's how He raises up saints. Uh, this is where we're supposed to be holy. And so it, it's there's always this temptation to to go outside of it. Like the, the real stuff's happening out there. The important stuff's happening right. out there. Mm-hmm. You know, holiness is, is I'm, I'm inhibited by somebody else, some, some other thing, rather than discovering it, like di- always digging deeper into yeah. the real meat that God's given you. Well, and, and you were just touching on like our holiness being inhibited by something external like i i think it's the pope have you seen what the pope's doing <laughs> that's why i'm not who i'm it's like come no on, but God. we did find recently in one of the pew studies that um by and large a lot of people are identifying with this tension that they're feeling where um they haven't had enough instances of getting to watch the catholic weird stuff segment oh. and so as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, we need to put a stop to this. A really wide. We need to do whatever it takes to give the people what they need to reach their holiness. So, Ethan, let's hit it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another case of Catholic weird stuff with Teresa and John Mike Grodi. Mike? John Mike? Hey, no, John Mark. My name's Mike. That's what I get for... Prison Mike. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Prison Mike Grodi. <laughs> That's a The Office reference for y'all. Y'all uninitiated. Um, all right. Today, we're going to be talking about two things. This is a two-for-one Catholic weird stuff segment. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the, uh, the phrase, memento mori, that we see kind of all over the place, including on Nick's chest right now. I'm rocking the CatholicMerch.store Memento Mori hoodie at the moment. You can also get it as a t-shirt or a couple other options. And you can get it in a variety of colors. Uh, Father Matt Rader is rocking a like a maroon burgundy Memento Mori hoodie. Nice. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend you check out CatholicMerch.store. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so... Memento Mori we're going to talk about, and then we're also going to be talking about NFP, Natural Family Planning. So let's get into Memento Mori first, because that's the less contentious, potentially, uh, topic. Um, But, all right, so Memento Mori means remember your death, remember you will die. Mm -hmm. Why am I wearing a hoodie that says remember you will die with a skull on it and flowers coming out of the skull, like... You're rocking something. Like, was it a bracelet? Or I didn't bring it with me today. You didn't bring I have it with a bracelet. You? It's a it's a little a wrist rosary, but it's yeah. got two little skulls hanging off. Yeah, our so, baby so likes it's to Latin. Chew on the skull. Yeah, it's a Latin phrase. Why is this something you see around around town? Well, we mentioned it earlier that Catholicism is all about reality, and I again I would I, w- I would put it out there. It, it it's more than any other institution, any university, any organization, any other religion. It's more about embracing the reality. Uh, and so part of that reality is just the, the reality of our mortality and of our ultimate destiny. You know, Catholics talk about the last things. We keep in mind the last things. Death, judgment, heaven, hell. You know, that that we, we have a destiny. We're not people who have arrived, and we're not expecting to arrive at in, in this life. We are we are a status viatoris, I think is the is the Latin phrase. We are people on the way. That's our status. People being on the way. That's how we live. And so if you're on the way, you got to know where you're going. And so we live uh, in the reality of our original sin, 
of our brokenness, our need of a savior, but also of our ultimate destiny. Um, and the path to that destiny ultimately is that we will die mortally, you know, but we, we trust in Christ in, in a resurrection. Uh, and so, but we keep that in mind because again, we're to live every day as if it is our last, could be our last. Uh, we're to live every day such that even if it weren't our last, it's the kind of day that we w- we would want to live if we get many more days. Yeah. And so we keep in mind our death so that we live, we're, we have the right perspective to live today uh, in a way becoming of a Christian. Amen. Teresa? I have nothing. I find Memento Mori to be helpful <laughs> right along the lines of what you're saying. Like, it's a matter of perspective. So um, it, it's, I think... It kind of verges on achieving a similar end to, you know, some of the people you see on the sidewalks that are crying out, oh, the end is coming, you know, be prepared, you know, whatever. And and to me, that doesn't do anyone any favors because, number one, we hardly understand what that's going to look like. And number two, it's such a far-fetched idea to such a secularized post-Christian society that this end-of-the-world apocalyptic notion, and it really isn't what matters. What matters is that... What, regardless of what the apocalypse looks like and whenever it happens, you will have an end to your world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being a Catholic thing, again, it's always, we, we get connected back to virtue, right? So it needs to be, it needs to to find a place as a, as a habit of living. The problem with, again, holding a, a sign by the road and saying the end is nigh is that it lends to people swinging between being way too comfortable in this world and thinking they're going to live forever to worrying that the end is tomorrow. So they get really prepared and then the end doesn't come. So they swing right back. Right. Swinging back and forth is antithetical to what we're to be living out as Christians. Yeah. So Memento Mori again connects more to the tradition of virtue that, no, I, I want to live in such a way that I don't have to prepare because the end is nigh. I'm already prepared. Mm-hmm. Christ can take me today if it's my time, because yeah. my wife and I and our family, we're living the life that we believe Christ is calling us to live, and we're always trying to do it better and better and better, but we're not holding out for some future time. No, we're trying to live the very best in our means now, the life that God's given to us. Uh, Teresa, I wanted you to comment, because we were talking about when you, we, 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 we were thinking about potential weird stuff topics, that family life is a, is a potent and underappreciated memento mori in and of itself, and it's mm. messiness. Mm-hmm. I can't remember anything of that conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, you know, if you're if you're living family life in its fullest, and you got you know not just your family but your extended family around you, you're exposed to death, you're exposed to birth yeah. and the dangers of, of birth, and you're exposed to health issues, and you're exposed to dirty diapers, and you're exposed to you know pets dying, and everybody you know flushing the goldfish down the toilet. Like family life keeps you up close and personal yeah. with. The, the the smallness, the fragility of life, yeah. the reality of death, and the reality of like, hey, you don't know if you're getting tomorrow. You yeah. better live today the best you can. We had a cat die, and I hadn't thought about it in this context, but having heard you say all of this, like it did mess with me. Like it, it really brought to the forefront the reality of my own death, the death of my children, the death of my wife, mm-hmm. like yeah. having to bury this cat who I had a very deep connection with and I don't like cats, you know, like they're, they're, we had a really special bond and it was a very unexpected death and um, yeah. it really messed with me. And you're absolutely right about the, that dynamic in the family life. And another reason why I think we focus as Catholics on the mentor more, you know how some 
um, ancient cultures um, would like cut off the heads of their enemies mm-hmm. and then walk around like I, I I slayed this guy. Wait, you don't still do that? <laughs> I mean, once no, I do, I do. That's what the Catholic crucifix is. Oh. that's what the memento mori is. Christ has conquered death. Mm. Death, where is your sting? We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. We 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 stand in awareness of it because we're we're prepared. Death, we, Christ has conquered death, mm-hmm. and so we 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 display proudly in our churches and our Catholic uh, Catholic art the reality of that that act wherein Christ went to death, destroyed it, and came back. Amen. Beautiful. That's memento mori. You heard it first here, folks. All right. So first, first, first. this is the first place first. it's Absolutely. ever been discussed. <laughs> There's no firsts in Catholicism anymore. Oh my God, that's so there true. Yeah, there shouldn't be. Um, Okay, so now let's talk about NFP, natural family planning. Uh, I'm not surprised that this is a topic that was brought up by you guys, was offered by you guys, mm-hmm. and I'm also excited that it was a topic that you guys brought because it's it's you know uh, clearly working for you guys with 20 kids. So yeah, well let, that is <laughs> that's the joke, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that it, it's so funny because the people who taught us NFP, we were at a lunch where they were teaching NFP to new couples. And they joked about how, like, this is the couple that we taught NFP to and how many kids have you had in this many years? And that's what I would have thought. That's what I did think when I was in in college. I was like, well, yeah, well, the people who do NFP have a bajillion kids. Everyone I know has like eight kids, you know, who does NFP. But I, it never entered into my brain that you would want more children right? Because children were always the problem. And they were the problem of how, like, I I grew up and there was like this commercial where like this woman had a bunch of kids and she was sitting in a hut and she was like, "Ah," all the kids were screaming. And then like, they were just like, or with contraception, whatever they were selling. It's like, she would have this older kid and this kid and this kid. And that was like, that was how I framed children. Like children are this problem that I have to figure out how to not have this problem, okay? And that that was very difficult coming into marriage because I didn't want children and I didn't want to be on contraception for a variety of reasons. Um, and so I'm just like, well, I guess I'm just going to have a bajillion kids because it's a, it's a shot in the dark as to whether or not— Teresa had come back to her Catholic faith short, you know, a few years, you know, but you can become Catholic, but then you still got all these— you know, all the stuff oh, yeah. you've soaked up from the world, you know, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, and our, our priest, Father Mike, required that all of his couples take NFP classes. So NFP is natural family planning, which is basically you, for the first time in your gosh darn life, start paying attention to your body, period. And you learn your body. Okay, I don't know why there's such a ridiculous thing in the Catholic world about, um, is NFP really just a contraceptive mindset? Is NFP? No, like I'm learning my body. This is mine. Okay. It's been taken from me that people have just told me to get on a pill or ignore it, or it just hurts. or your body is wrong. Okay. So the Catholic church is the only person who empowered me to learn my feminine body. Okay. So our, our priest friend or not our priest friend. And just to be clear, yeah. you're really talking about like the, like the medical biological dynamics. Yeah. Of your body. You're not just saying like the Catholic church helped me understand myself like spiritually, theologically. You no. mean like, like from a medical standpoint, what in the world is happening where they're not teaching even, even yeah. like I remember sex ed when I was in fifth grade, 
like I know what the girls learned. I know what I learned. None of it was stuff that <laughs> could have been really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Like for the girls, why are the girls not being taught about their cycles and about? Well, like, if it's they just, are. It's scary. Right, like you're scared crapless sitting there like, when is this going to happen to me? And you said it hurts. And this is like, this is the most awful thing. Like there's no, there's no positive. Well, and I think that the devil, (laughs) the demonic forces that are a real thing, they really thrive uh, in, in confusion. They thrive Mm -hmm. in a lack of information. They thrive in our ignorance uh, to their existence, to our ignorance of our own bodies, our ignorance Mm -hmm. of what's good, true, and beautiful. Um, And it's not a surprise, really, that it perpetuates this way. And they have to thrive in ignorance. Again, we talked earlier, we mentioned uh, Christopher West and and Theology of the Body. That was an important moment in both of our lives, you know, hearing the teachings of John Paul II and the Church on the Theology of the Body. The reason why it's in the devil's interest to keep it cloudy and weird and suspicious and you know and dark is because the body bespeaks God and God's love mm. and his plan for marriage and for sexuality and for children and for love right the body teaches that the, the, the more you dig into human nature the act just the way humans are biologically spiritually psychologically you discover God at the bottom of that cup and so there it, it is funny that in our modern world that's obsessed with science and follow the science and we're all about the science you have these big blind spots where precisely looking a little bit too deep would put you face to face with your creator who loves you and has a purpose and plan for your happiness and your holiness. Right. And then the, and then what science is considered or or looked at is then often when it comes to sexuality and stuff it is then twisted and distorted and confused further, you know, and Well, I mean, just think about the the comfortable position of thinking that your contraception is a hundred percent foolproof. Oh. And when people laugh at you when you're like, no, abstinence is a hundred percent foolproof. Right. And they're trying to make this argument for something that's 70%, 80%, 90%, you know, like in preventing pregnancy. In preventing pregnancy. And you're just like, you know what? Not having sex is a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I can guarantee I won't get pregnant because I won't have sex. Now, now, I, d- I do just want to follow the the narrative I was initially laying sure. out. So our priest had us uh, learn NFP. And when we learned NFP before we got married, we were taught by a doctor and a nurse who both said to us openly, this is not what we learned in medical school. This is what the Catholic Church encouraged us to learn. And the science is there. Right. And so I have we have this doctor and this nurse teaching us about natural family planning and like blowing my mind about things that like your body doesn't just like throw an egg. Like it builds up to of releasing this egg. And as it's building up to releasing this egg, your body has detectable signs. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like, oh, I threw an egg today. Whoops. It's like your body does have to go through these things. And now 12 years in, you know, with a bunch of mom friends who do NFP, we can, by, by like our mental thoughts, we can tell where we are in our cycle and when the egg is inviable. Like I can watch every month when I actually have, like I'm postpartum now, but it's like when I actually have a cycle, I can watch my thoughts and like thought patterns I have and then watch the thought patterns just go away. And it's like, oh, my, our, you know, my time of waiting until we could have sex again, I guess that's how your, your, your chart goes. Like it's over. 
and these thought patterns are gone. But it's just like there's so many, that's just one example, but it's like there's so many detectable things by knowing my body fully, not shutting it up, Mm -hmm. not making it stop, not being afraid to bring it up to my doctor or afraid, I'm just so afraid to mention anything that goes on with my body. Like, it's so freeing and empowering. Like, I... I feel for all the women who who can't have this because they've been told otherwise. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. I could, I could, yeah. I could talk about. Well, this and, for an and so you know, this is the, the biggest question with natural family planning is the uh, the impl- the application, mm-hmm. right? So, like, when and why would a, a Catholic couple uh, in good standing without committing sin or whatever use natural family planning? Well, I think there's two, the two things. One is, is the ethos and then there's the application. Okay, the, sure. Because the other side of all this is it's even the way when we talk about this, we're all still kind of coming out of this talking using secular terms mm-hmm. and right. mindsets and patterns. Because again, mm-hmm. from the perspective of the culture, children are the problem. Mm-hmm. Sex uh, with consequences is the problem. And so getting rid of the consequences or avoiding the consequences is always the solution. And and again, we we uh, we disagree with that in multiple reasons. One of the biggest ones is just that that's not how we see children at all. That's not how we see marriage. That's not how we see love. And so, the for many people, the first step on this process, and we saw this a lot again at back at St. Tom's and in, in ministry, you had people coming back to the church and not yet having like fully. Um, received and internalized the ethos of of this generous life giving you know God wants to bring about new life and new mm-hmm. love but they wanted they wanted to follow Christ they they wanted to follow his church they they were they were coming to trust the church that I think the church knows on here so many of them again we're getting off contraception we're we're not having sex before marriage and again at, with the church we're learning natural family planning this is something different than contraception I, I think, and then as you go and you internalize more and more of the church teaching, and you have experience of family life, that's when it really hits home. Like, oh, I, like the culture is so wrong. Children are not the problem. This is the the best thing in the world to be have the this most power healing thing in the world to given have by a God child. to bring about new life. So that's the culture of life. That's the ethos of life and love that the church transmits to us through from God. Then the next question is then again I'll, I'll I'll just read from the catechism a little bit here then but in that context then uh, as the catechism says uh let's see a particular aspect of the responsibility this is paragraph 2368 a particular aspect of the responsibility concerns the regulation of procreation for just just reasons reasons of justice spouses may wish to space the births of their children. It is their duty to make certain that their desire is not motivated by selfishness, but is in conformity with the generosity appropriate to responsible parenthood. And there's a whole section around. There's a lot more quotes I could read there. Really good. That's really the, the point here. That that uh, in the ethos of God's generosity, still in the context of family life, there are sometimes in which it, it would be it would be difficult or dangerous to have another child. And again, there's a whole world of differences. One of the key points here. There's a whole world of difference between going on co- contraception or, or worse, perhaps abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of that way of avoiding having a child. There's a world of difference between that and saying, you know, because because of your health right now or because we don't have money or a house burned down, whatever, you know, we're going to abstain from sex when you when you could get pregnant and again because you because you come to know uh, your body and your cycles yeah you're working with what god gave you Precisely. rather than intervening artificially with some external measure or 
something that wasn't part of God's design. Right. Yeah, and one of the one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. aspects of natural family planning in our marriage mm-hmm. is that with the gifts of every child, yeah. our sexual relationship has changed in a definable way. Like when I when I go back and I think, oh, it was after Lucy's birth that we had this maturity in our sexual relationship and it became so much better. And it was after, you know, Philomena's birth that, you know, when we started to have sex again, it was like we had this maturity, you know, we had this fight, you know, that led us to realize these wounds and then address these wounds. And it, 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 it sounds weird to say, it sounds weird to say that like, oh, with every child, we grew sexually after that. But that, I mean, like that is real for us. Can I read another quote sure. that, that says that this is paragraph 2369 and 2370 from the, the catechism. By safeguarding both these essential aspects, the unitive and the procreative, the conjugal act preserves its fullness in the sense of true mutual love and its orientation towards man, man's exalted vocation to parenthood. Periodic continence, periodically just not having sex, that is the methods of birth regulation based on self-observation and the use of infertile periods is in conformity with the objective criteria of morality. These methods respect the bodies of the spouses, encourage tenderness between them, and favor the education of an authentic freedom. In contrast, quote, every action which, whether in anticipation of the conjugal act or in its accomplishment or in the development of its natural consequences, proposes whether as an end or means to render procreation impossible is intrinsically evil. That latter part is talking about contraception and abortion, all those ways of rendering uh, procreation impossible, you know, putting this big slash against God's plan. But 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 methods of natural family planning, planning, getting to know your bodies, working with the way the body works to sometimes make decisions for just reason, reasons to space out pregnancies, that encourages this tenderness mm-hmm. and this, this self-knowledge and this love and this respect. And most importantly, I think, this greater and greater love of family life and this desire to be generous and this desire to respond to God's gift of family as much as possible. Yeah. That's the key. I do need to say, though, we need to get this out of the way. NFP has worked 100% of the time for us. So every month we intended to abstain. joke, yeah. (laughs) Every month we intended to to not conceive a child. We didn't. And every, every month, except for one time where it took two months, we conceived the child the month we intended to. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. I want I I so and so I somebody who never wanted to have children has generously desired to have children six well more than six times because sometimes when like you're abstaining you want to have children mm-hmm. even though you're not having them. Well, and there have but. been really clear moments for Alina and I where. Uh, you know, I'm always ready for one. Um, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Um, but Alina, um, there have been moments with I think the majority of our kids where she felt like this supernatural peace and openness yeah. to it, and she would convey that, and it'd be like, okay, it's time yeah. to make another human. You yeah. know, um, and it's really amazing. The more the the closer you align your lives to the way God intended the the more in tune you are with mm. the holy spirit is just a natural byproduct yeah. of that yeah. and a woman who feels cared for and supported mm. like we then become 
it's not like we're, we then all of a sudden want to have a baby immediately. It's like, I feel free to say yes. And I feel free to say no. There's no like burden of fear, you know, of what are the ramifications going to be if I'm honest with how I feel about where my body is and whether or not I think I can carry another pregnancy or where my mind is, whether or not I think mentally I'm going to lose my mind, you know, yeah. um, which I, we, we had many years where I was like mentally not okay. Um, and so that, that's always a possibility in my head. In the church's but, documents, again, it refers to just reasons or grave reasons. Um, and, and sometimes there's, there's consternation when the church says things like that. Like I think of a similar thing, like with like mortal sin, the, the, the church will say grave matter along with full knowledge and full consent of will. Uh, and then it'll give some examples, but there's always kind of this, this sneaking suspicion in your mind, like, Hey guys, but where's the list? Like, give me yeah. the list. I want, yeah. I want the, just, just give me the list. Right. And, and the, the point is there's no list right? because it's not that simple. Uh, the church can give you a lot of information about the, the 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 external objective gravity of sin, but it can't tell you your own mental state, right? And and moral action, moral or immoral, is always the combination of the two. What the object, objective criteria, as well as your knowledge and your consent, your intentionality, it'll give you principles. So again, in that definition we read, the church said, you know, it, um, this can't be used in a selfish way. Mm-hmm. That can't be your reason. If if your reason is to 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 respond in generosity to God's grace to have a family, but again in in, in certain again, again so scenarios that we've had, you know, health problems or, or mental health issues, or when we first got married, we didn't really have any place to live, and so there were times in our marriage where it's like either we're not ready to have our first child, or 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 we just had a baby, and Teresa's not. Uh, recovered yet, and again, my response to that is is not well. You need to get on contraception so I can keep having sex. It's no working with God's plan. We're going to abstain. We're going to work with your body. We're going to abstain until you're you're ready, you know, or, or abstain during the fertile periods until you know, like we we can you know respond generously again. Yeah. And you know, sometimes yeah. that's painful, yeah, for you. Like thinking back through our marriage, like sometimes that would cause you to go to God and just be like, I don't know what to do with this. I never know if we're going to have sex again. I know, like, you know what I mean? And you like, but you, that's an important conversation Especially to have when with you're God. First married. It's, a, it's a real yeah. boot camp. You know, because and that's an important fight to have because if I'm sitting here thinking, like, I feel so guilty that I'm saying no all the time, and he's thinking, like, I just wish she would say whether or not she thinks ever in the next 10 years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a very simple problem to resolve, but it can cause very serious mm-hmm. issues if it's never talked about. And, and, Go ahead. I mean, because you you can get married, as we did, you can get married all excited about the church's ethos and about theology of the body and a big family and all these dreams and ideas. And then you get married and you, and you encounter the reality of your own selfishness, how how screwed up your sexuality still is from yeah. all the baggage. And, and again, the beautiful thing about the church's teaching on marriage and sexuality and of natural family planning, as it, as it said in that quote, is that as you practice it, what it requires of you, it's not you go out and buy a pill. It requires of you self-denial and getting to know the other person and sympathizing with them. You know, and like, again, for the man to his wife, like caring about how right. she feels and and yeah. saying, we're going to, we want to have children, but if you're not feeling there, we're going to work that out. We're going to, you know, do we need to, do I need to get a new job? What do, we, yeah. what do we need to do to get our family in a place where we can, again, respond in that generosity that we believe we're called to. And the challenge of those conversations and even like some of the interactions that you guys just shared about, like that is what makes 
intimacy. Yeah. yeah. Like I just I, I was thinking to myself as you were talking, I was like, man, if if I as you were saying what you were saying earlier, Teresa, if I um if the Catholic Church was ever to say contraception's okay, I just literally could not and first of all, they would never say that, yeah. but because you can't change something that's true. But were they to in this hypothetical, I could never imagine myself using contraception. Yeah. Um, like it, I don't use it not because the church says I shouldn't or can't, but because ew, like the, the, to create those types of barriers between myself and my spouse, yeah. whether it's the pill or you know other forms um, that that create more physical barriers, like any of that is just withholding part of myself and and my wife withholding part of herself. Mm -hmm. And it is by definition um, less intimate and less self-gift and less uh, an intermingling of the souls in that moment. You know, it's, it's less metaphysical. It's less, it's less sacramental. It's, it's, uh, it's ew. And and it's hard. And it's hard because we are in such a post-Christian, such a secularized society where the message is instead, be your own God. You be in control of all aspects of your life, including your fertility. Um, And and the gospel message is so contrary to that. It's that let God be God and, and let's align our lives to what his destiny is for us. And the point behind what I was saying about my lack of interest in it, even if it was allowed, is that like I've now seen why God's way is what he has asked for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he only ever asks for us what is best, what is right. Yeah, Catholicism communicates reality to you and it teaches you by by insisting what it insists, you know, with with its, you know, its guidelines, it trains you to be a kind of person who becomes who develops a taste for reality. Yeah. Like, I don't want the unreal anymore. I don't want the lies. Yeah. I don't want to try to to mold reality in a bunch of ideologies and words and definitions sort of fit me. No, no. I want to keep becoming a person who has more and more of a taste for things as they are. Mm. And the thing is, God designed human beings and he designed male and female and he designed marriage and he designed sexuality and he designed ch- children. He designed those things. They have a nature and it is good. And the whole point again, Catholicism trains us to be more and more the kind of people who have a taste, who have a love, who have a joy in the real. That's yes. what it means to be Catholic. Amen. Yeah, and when I when I see, like we get glimpses, like we sin and we're, we get back up, go to confession and we try to do better. Like we, you know, life is vacillating. But like when I see our marriage and our relationship and how it affects my husband, I see someone who maybe when we first got married, I thought I was going to need to lead or control. And I Mm. watch him become this Christ-like king. And I don't mean king like I think is is kind of trendy right now in Catholic circles where like the man's the head of the household because just is. But like – Watching this man become—do you mean like a chauvinist thing? Well, I don't. I don't even know what's going on well, right there's now. All kinds of images. There's of, a lot of, of there's a lot of very Protestanty images of there, what you know. a what a male relationship or what a male should focus, be, what a female. I think it focuses on but, the externals. Well, like, but, but my point is, is that twisted, you know? the more I see us serve each other mm. and be generous to each other, the more I see a king. And the more that I see my fertility spill into everything, like not just my children, but I become like, you know, in Fern Gully, where that girl becomes 
like the, the the forest nymph. Not enough people and everywhere, talk about Fern Gully. I know, yeah, right? Problem with <laughs> that's the problem with the world today. <laughs> and everywhere she walks, there's like these flowers unfolding everywhere she steps. I feel like that. Yeah. Like when we're living our vocation and we're receptive and we're generous, I just feel like my fertility spills into my friends and into my parish mm-hmm. and into my dog and my property, you know, like, like my garden is better or, or I just love it more. I don't know which, but it's just like, I become a fertility goddess for lack of a better non-human word. Yeah. Yeah. And my husband (laughs) becomes more of a servant King. Yeah. Like it's incredible. It is amazing. Yeah. And I think what you're getting at to me, I, I resonate with that as I would use the words of like, you are becoming the saint in, in fully, um, fully receiving and living out to the best of your ability who God has called you to be as the woman that you mm-hmm. are. Um, and as that saint, as a lowercase g God, which Christ calls us to be, mm-hmm. um, you are blessing the world around you. So I wouldn't even I wouldn't even isolate specifically fertility, but but it's possible too that in the wounds of your womanhood, that in the healing of some of those wounds over time, mm-hmm. that that's where you found that. Yeah. Well, like, like I'm as a woman, I'm someone who, who gestates life within. Mm. Right. So my fertility is who I am, even if I'm a consecrated sister. Sure. Right. It's part of you. Yeah. And, and like you are someone, you both are someone who give life from without. Yeah. Right. And, and becoming a servant king. Like, I mean, it just, Men or women, I think fundamentally, you know, <laughs> men and women, in whatever their, their specific vocation, the yeah. vocations we understand in the church, women are called to motherhood in a in this profound spiritual way, even if they aren't called or able to be biological mothers. Yeah. And so too, men are called to be fathers. You know, fatherhood has this generative quality, this this self-gift, the self-donation, this, this, mm-hmm. again, this giving outward, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then femininity has this receptivity to that that love. That blossoms into new life. Yeah, and again, that happens in a very specific way in the in the the biological of of the man and the woman and the children. But that's also mirrors a spiritual reality that yeah. that, that men and women image that that whole picture of who God is. Yeah, uh, I was giving a talk recently yeah. uh, uh, on pornography and sexual wounds, and mm-hmm. in the Q and A portion afterwards, somebody asked me, um, "So, what do you do if?" Like how how do uh, how do priests and religious handle like sexuality and and like their internal like sexual desires and like do you just stop having them or how does that work and and I said um, I don't remember the exact words that I used and it's it's been a while now but I said uh, something to the effect of you know. Um, even priests are sexual beings. Mm-hmm. Like they, you do not suddenly not become a man. You're more of a man. You're more of a man, <laughs> yeah. For, for um, embracing that vocation. That right, you are. but but that also yeah. doesn't immediately make you not a sexual being. Like right. you are one, but it, the the graces, the, the, the fruits of your sexuality are channeled differently. Right, right. Um, and the priest in the room, super holy priest that I really look up to, he, for, I could, I watched him wrestle with what I was saying for a second because it's just language that he wasn't used to. Yeah. Um, you know, initially he was like, like giving me a face, like you're wrong about what you're saying, and then I saw him like kind of like wrestling with it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, th- that's the like if you're someone watching this that or or listening to it that has considered, you know, entering into a more formal discernment about religious life, mm-hmm. and this is a the, the kind of question that maybe you didn't even realize you were wondering about, but you were maybe wondering it um, subconsciously. Yeah. Like, y- you do not become less of what you are right. by meeting your vocation right. mm-hmm. and rising to it. You you become more and more fully what you are yeah. in, in entirety, including your sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah by, if, by laying down one good aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, a very good thing, not laying it down because it's less, but laying it down because it's so good in surface of Christ. Again, there's a more of a flowering of that. Yes. Man's, when, when it goes well, when he's being who he should be, you know, he is more masculine for having embraced his vocation, his fatherhood, his fatherly uh, spirituality overflows in his, in his charism and how he relates to people and how he, he gives of himself. And so absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. So what's funny is your show really is not about NFP. No, um, <laughs> we've actually never even talked about NFP. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was just the show. Catholic weird stuff segment. So there you go. Yeah. There's your Catholic, Catholic weird stuff segment. Catholic weird stuff. But, but to me, there is a tie in. There is a tie in though, because you were talking about the ways in which we see children, the ways in which we prioritize our families and all these things. And to me, that's, that's one of the things that I get so blessed by by in your show yeah. is is I I've literally I've sat with my kids and and forced myself to shift perspective calling to mind messages I've heard in your show mm. um Aww. and I think t- like there there was a time um recently actually in here when we were we were working on on setting up the new set uh which we're, we're part of the way done what you're seeing here is a partial reality um but anyways I was building the trust system and my the kids were in the corner hanging out, and Augustine comes up to me, uh, who is four years old now, or is he five? Uh, well, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's a kid, um, <laughs> and uh, he he comes up to me and he's like, "Daddy, I want to help you." And my initial instinct was one of I didn't say this, but like, leave me alone. Let me just focus on this, right? And I and I almost said to him, actually, son, this is like too hard right now. This is a grown up job, um, whatever. And instead, it just took me a brief split second of refocusing, and I was like, hold on a second. This is not some nuisance. Like this person happens to be younger, but is a person who to whom I am his world. And he looks up to me and I love him and he's actually a blast and he's actually surprisingly capable when I just give him the chance. And I was like, Augustine, grab that screw and I want you to screw it into this hole. And and it was great. He was helping me the rest of the time. And all I had to do was stop myself from my initial reaction of being annoyed. And I think I've there are so many instances like that where I've caught myself with my kids you know, unintentionally, but just as a gut reaction, almost pushing them away. And then I have to think, no, 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 this is one of my best friends. Like this is someone I'm going to spend my life with. And I need to see this moment for what it is in that way, mm-hmm. rather than it's just some kid I have to put up with. Mm-hmm. And not enough of the world is doing that. That ties into the NFP conversation that ties into all of it. Yeah. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, not enough of Teresa is doing that as well. What do you like, mean? Like I spend my whole day home with the kids. Yeah. It's equal and sometimes unequal parts of get away from me. Yeah, or yeah. I actually gave David, David is three and he is like, he doesn't even nap. 
He doesn't even sleep. He's just on the go all the time. And a lot of times it's dangerous. He's just dangerous. And I was just like so tired of him already this morning at like nine in the morning. And I was like, here's some chocolate. Go eat it in your bedroom. <laughs> I was like, I just got to do something. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you have to preserve your own sanity. Like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. there. there's, yeah. if they don't have a healthy mommy, there's a problem, right? Yes. And so yeah. that's important too, self-care. Yeah. Um, but I'm also type A and a jerk about it too, so. Well, but that's also my tendency. Yeah. And, and maybe you don't even realize what you're doing, but you call me to a higher standard. And so I appreciate that. This is definitely going to call me to a higher standard as well. Yeah. And, and, and that's what, <laughs> that's beautiful about friendship. We need other people because like, my friend will text me and be like, I, Teresa, you need to tell me what to do. And I'll tell her something. And then I'll be like, oh, you just told me this a week ago. She'll be like, yeah, I did tell you that a week ago. Mm. And like we always just, we yeah. forget. That's you know, we live in the moment. Restating the obvious over and over yeah. and over. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Why can't I just remember this? Th this does all connect. I mean, all the NFP stuff, I don't, think, I don't think we've done an episode specifically on it. I know we've talked about it many times, but it's all bound up with what we're talking about here. Because again, one of the main uh, hinge points in that whole conversation is the world and and Christianity when it's kind of lost its ethos gets in this mindset of of what can I get away with mm -hmm. right what's permissive right like uh, like just tell me the thou shot knots and then I'll find the loopholes and I'll, mm -hmm. in the end I'll just do whatever the hell I want whereas the the Christian ethos and imitation of Christ is asking you no know, what am I what was I created to do what's my mission what's my calling and our show elevate ordinary I mean if you think about elevate ordinary. We're, we're always looking in, in all areas of our life to be trying to ask this ongoing question with a lot of fits and starts and, and mistakes. You know, what's what's your plan? What's your your awesome vision for this area? Whether it's marriage or sexuality or children, uh, or our m money or our time or our work or our food or our garden. It's it's that no, this this has a nature and it's beautiful and we want to embrace it fully. And so the NFP stuff that's just that's just that whole conversation, this nuanced, beautiful conversation that the church has initiated about again God's plan for the the beautiful the beautiful reality of, of marriage and, and sexuality and children. Uh, and so it, it's bound up exactly with the kind of stuff we talk about all the time because that, that we're just trying to always figure that out in our daily life and we make yeah. lots of mistakes. But we're always going back to it and trying to, you know, to, to, to work on embracing that better. Yeah. And I love that name for it for that reason. Like it's yeah. all of the ordinary things in life that we take for granted and that no are things. annoyances to us and whatever are, are really – should be elevated in dignity, like my relationship with my kids, our family time. Like how, yeah. for me, another big thing, also based on your show, is like um, elevating my evening time with my kids when I'm done mm -hmm. with work. Like mm -hmm. actually spending time with them, playing a game with them, reading. We, we've begun, begun a practice where I read a novel to them every night, um, oh, and, awesome. and we're working through Chronicles of Narnia right now. Oh, and, awesome. um, it's just awesome. it's so enriching and beautiful, and you come away from that time not feeling like. Not thinking about all the work you didn't get done, which which is what I would have thought before getting into that practice, and instead you just feel so alive and so enriched. Well, and the first time you do that, you probably will be thinking those. Sure, things. right. That, that's part of this process too, is recognizing that we we're to imitate Christ, we're to grow in transformation of Christ. I'll call you later, Dominic. He probably wants to get permission to play video games. <laughs> um, <laughs> We are called an imitation of Christ. That doesn't just mean imitating his external acts, not just his intellect or his will, but even his heart. Right? We talk a lot about the sacred heart of Jesus in our faith, right? That um, when I begin this journey, a lot of times it's going to be maybe through gritted teeth. Like I can see now what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to do it and, it. and it's hard. It goes against my ingrained habits and patterns. But I always have my eye on the end goal that if I was like Christ, 
as I become the saint that I'm supposed to be, my heart will change along with everything else. Yeah. That someday I'm going to be able to respond to that child in a way that's real, the way that I ought to, the mm-hmm. way that a, 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 a true heart would. The reason I don't respond to beauty the way I, I shouldn't is because of my brokenness. The reason I don't respond to my wife or to my children the way I ought to is because of my brokenness. But that's this journey that the more we go to, in imitation of Christ and, and his virtues and his love, even our hearts change so that when we do <laughs> sit down and we play with our kids the way we ought to, even in our hearts, we respond effectively to the, the beauty of, of what's going on there. Wow, amen. Yeah, and each new baby, I was just thinking about this the other day with our, our nine-month-old, like I, I both dread and I'm so excited when she wakes up because she's just like... <laughs> She can't do anything wrong right now. She's just she just smiles and happy, and you know even when she cries, it's cute. And I was I was thinking that like every baby that I have reminds me that I like my other children because <laughs> they grow and they do. They hit the three stage, and they learn no, and they become very defiant, you know, almost overnight. And it's just like this baby reminds me of like what it's like to smile and be smiled at. I mean, it just sounds so silly, but it, it's like, it's profound and it sets my day. And I'm afraid of the day when my fertility runs out that I'm going to forget, like that I'm going to forget what little kids are like and I'm going to become crotchety. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and be like, why is everybody crying? Why has everybody got kids or whatever? Like, I'm I'm afraid of like my temperament coming back and being <laughs> like without a child to... It's, to bring me out of myself. It's another aspect you know? of that memento mori of family life. And it's not death per se, but <clears throat> the reality of, of mm. again, the fact that you're on a journey still, right? We always joke about, and we talk about the show on the show a lot, like it's very easy before you're married, before you have other people depending on you, looking to you, um, seeking your help, you know, uh, uh, admiring you, loving you. It's very easy to think you're a really great person. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm so patient and I have yeah. such a great personality and easygoing and people love me, whatever. <laughs> you get married, and again, like with the NFP question, you realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not pure. I am so selfish. I am so obsessed with my own comfort and staying comfortable and keeping comfortable and getting more comfortable for myself. Yeah. And then you have kids and you just realize, oh, I'm I'm just I'm not patient at all. I've just been living a cushy, comfortable life my mm. whole life. And now that I actually have some real responsibility that's kind of all up on me, I, I I my my imperfections are always right up in my face. And that's this huge blessing. Again, it's not a it's not a bug, it's a feature. That it's such a sanctifying vocation because I mean you have to have Christ. Yeah. Because if you don't have Christ, I mean you give up in despair real fast. But with Christ, you know you you pick yourself back up. You apologize to each other. You go to confession. You receive grace. You receive the Eucharist, and then you try it again. And and you you keep moving forward. And um, you're 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 not. Um, you're kept from being sinfully satisfied in this life, mm, but you're kept line. with your eyes on the on the prize, on on and continuing to grow in love. It's a good line. Mm. Well, guys, um, I have one final question for you. In the show prep notes that you sent me, you mentioned managing up. What does that mean? Oh, did I send you those notes? Yeah. Well, you sent it to Colleen. <laughs> well, and Colleen you're gonna to have to watch 
our upcoming <laughs> episode about okay. managing up. Stay tuned if you want to learn about <laughs> managing up, which I'm guessing is like a pyramid scheme or something. Yep. Yes, <laughs> actually, you're going to... Yeah. The Elevate Ordinary pi- Pyramid Scheme. Essential oils distilled in <laughs> Teresa's own garden. Oh Homemade neosporin, which is also something Alina got for Christmas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Another side of what is what is uh, comprised you don't know. of? Okay, <laughs> many weeds, many weeds that you kill with your glyphosate in your lawn are actually I'm medicinal. So curious, <laughs> <laughs> guys! It has been a blast to be here with you today. Thank you so much for being on the show and for all the work you're doing with Elevate Ordinary and, and John Mark. Your work with um, the Coming Home Network and now you're hosting the Journey Home on EWTN. You're officially the guy. <laughs> Uh, Teresa, thank you for all you do for your family and for your kids and um, for the community in making these, uh, you know, uh, verging on witchcraft uh, little things that you put in a package. You should and- see when I use chicken feet to make our broth. Oh, my gosh. It looks like Are you a for real? Yeah. We slaughtered our own chickens for the first time while we were on hiatus. That's hilarious. You guys are awesome. Um, everyone, once again, today's episode is sponsored by... CatholicMerch.store. Get completely unique and original Catholic merch that makes you look as holy on the outside as you are on the inside, even if you're just faking it a little bit. Oh, I have been Nick. This has Fake been of the Awakened Catholic Show featuring <laughs> Teresa and John Mark Grodi of the Elevate Ordinary Show on Awakened Catholic. And before you go, I just need you to know that Jesus loves you. Peace. <laughs>